Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. Pursue 
that realm of wonder. And, and really, we have to understand in this, in this thing that we call the kingdom, in this thing that we refer to as the church, uh, we, have, we have neglected the, the aspect of wonder. If, if anything, I really want you to understand that because we have lost our wonder, our W-O-N-D-E-R, for the greater things of God, we've, we've lost our wonder for the intimate things of God. We've lost our wonder for those personal connections with God. Uh, it has really, really been detrimental, and it really has been one of the most... Uh, one of the most determining factors of the decay or the, the erosion, if you will, of the Christian pursuit of Christ. Uh, we really, in, in, in so many aspects, when we have made everything so religious, meaning that if I go through the if I go through the, 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 the playbook, so to speak, and I you know, I, I feel the emotions and I cry and I lose myself and I act a fool. And I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, very, very uh, yeah. sort of the way that I did when I got saved. You know, uh, I, I, I ran to the altar, I fell, I, I laid there for, for what seemed like hours on top of hours and I cried so profusely that I probably came close to passing out for dehydration. Uh, but we think that if we go through that playbook and then we, we, from that point on, do everything in accordance to that playbook. If I show up to church on Sunday morning and Wednesday evening and I, I pay my tithes once in a while, I amen I, I, I when the preacher gets all riled up and excited. And, and I'm, I'm there every time we do a missionary outreach. And I pray for people who ask me to pray for them. And so I live this normalcy of a Christian lifestyle. And that really has been one of the greatest hindrances to uh, the extreme normality of a Christian lifestyle. Uh, literally walking in communion, and that's what we've had totally, totally, totally meant, is the, the invitation and the desire, both coming from the heart of Galway. See, listen, he, he has a desire to commune with you. He has given you the invitation to commune with him, okay? Uh, I, do you know that the word koinonia is mentioned in the Bible 19 times? 19 times in the New Testament, the word koinonia is mentioned, and the word koinonia uh, is, is, is a word that they use to reference to church, but the, 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 the etymology or the root of that word actually has a connotation of friendship, Fellowship, communion, and intimacy. Uh, some people say that it's the, it's the family concept or aspect of church. Uh, I believe that it's the it's the communal. It's the uh, it's the invitation. It's the permission. It's the access into intimacy. Uh, the bride with the groom. The church with the Christ. Uh, the body of Christ with Christ being the head. It is a oneness invitation. It is a unity invitation. It is, it is, it is a proposal, if you will. Uh, it is Jesus getting down on one knee and asking the bride to be his, if I had to put it in an illustration that most of us would understand. 
He's giving the invitation to come into us. I think it's significant, listen to me, that it's in the New Testament 19 times. I believe that there's, 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 there's a couple different significances for 2019. Here and faith. I think that it's significant that Jason brought up obey, hear and obey, because faith and obedience go hand in hand. Faith comes as a consequence of obedience, and obedience comes as a consequence of faith. So when you hear and you have faith, you show your faith by your obedience. Amen? I also believe that 19 is significant to the establishment of proximity, intimacy, family. I believe that when we understand that, first of all, the invitation is for you as the bride to have intimate communion with Christ, the groom. He, 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 he desires, listen guys, you cannot say, I don't know really if you're telling the truth because I can prove it. He left the realm of heaven, okay, to come into this earth because that was the only way he could reconcile humanity back to divinity. And Paul was very adamant that because Jesus died on the cross, he did it so that he could reconcile humanity back to himself and back to God the Father. And then gave us the gospel and the, 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 the mission of reconciliation. So listen, there's a marriage that has been torn apart in the church. The bride has, has lost passion for her groom, but I will, I will assure you that the groom has never lost passion, and he's never lost the desire to be one with his bride. See, we've got to understand that what we've done in the 21st century, we're in the 21st century, right? Amen? Thank you. I get so confused on that. I really don't understand. 21st century. 1900s was the 20th century. We're in the 2000s, 21st century. Good. We're in the 21st century. We've messed this up so bad because now what we have done is, I mean, we will talk about grace but still, still apply works to your access into the kingdom. We don't even, I, I really want to say this, we don't even have a, a, a foundational concept of kingdom. We know church. We know how to build a church. We know how to grow a church. We know how to sustain a church. We know, we, we know how to market our brand and we know how to promote our flavor. I mean, we don't. Laura Branch Church of God absolutely doesn't know how to do that. And nor do I want to know how to promote my brand or to, uh, to promote my brand and, 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 and exploit my flavor or whatever it is. You know, it's like a packet of Kool-Aid, man. Whatever the flavor of the month is, that's what we got to do in order to try to uh, be more appealing and enticing to people to get them. Let's just get that all out of our head. Because, and I, I believe this with every fiber and essence of who I am, I believe that the church was not separated so that we could be missionaries, missional. I believe we were separated unto Him. Is that what 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says? Absolutely, that's what I said. Come out from among them, be ye separate. Touch not that unclean thing, says the Lord. And I will receive you. God never called you out of the world to leave you in it without communion with him. God never called you out of fellowship with the world so that you would not have fellowship with him. Okay? God didn't call you at the age of... Listen, I knew, I knew a woman when she was saved at, I think it was the age of 15. She passed away recently at the age of, I, I don't know, in her 80s. 
a, a relatively uh, later 80s, served God her entire life. Didn't, I, I don't know, I, I didn't know her in her earlier days, but I don't know how many sermons she preached, if any. I don't know how many conferences she held, if any. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say probably none. I don't know. Because I'm, I'm going to show you and prove you how irrelevant all that is. There was a woman in my ministry when I was growing, when I, when I was early in the ministry, that I had the utmost confidence in that she had an intimate relationship with Jesus, that if I had an issue, I didn't go to anybody else but her. And I would tell this lady, I said, I need this issue prayed for. And she would look up at me with a little squint in her left eye, with her head cocked just a little to the left. She said, I will go home and have a little talk with my Jesus. And I guarantee you, her little talk with Jesus was a very, very, very prolonged, in-depth talk with Jesus. Because she was going to make sure that Jesus understood that she needed him to move on my behalf. And that he was such a close friend with hers that he was going to do what his friend asked him to do. Amen. How many sermons did she preach? I don't know. Possibly none. But I guarantee you that when she opened her mouth to pray to the one that had her heart, she caused heaven to stop. I, if, if, just, just illustration. I can imagine Jesus walking through heaven and all the angels singing and he heard the voice of this lady and he told everybody to hush. He was busy. There was somebody that needed to get a hold of him. That's the kind of relationship Jesus wants with you to the point where he tells the entire universe to stand still so that he can give you all of his attention undivided and say, whatever it is you need, the power's in the palm of my hand. Okay? So that, that, that's really what I want to convey to you tonight. That it's not about, it's not about church. And it's not about the temple. Other than you being the temple of God. Okay? But I need you to understand that because you get into this close relationship with God. There's two things that happen. Uh, you become a resource as he becomes the source. Okay? How, how, how do I mean this? Okay, do you want to be missional? You want to touch people in the community? You want to, you want to deliver people in the community? Then it, it, it only comes by the consequence of how devoted and committed you are to him in intimacy. Okay, let me, let me prove this to you. And this is something that I use on a very, very frequent uh, uh, basis. How many of you remember me talking about Peter coming out of his room, wherever it may have been, Walking down the sidewalk and walking down the streets, uh, and that people were were listen. The Bible says that they was bringing people out on beds and couches and laying them in a position. Now, when I say position or positionally, I'm not talking about how they arrayed them on their couch or on their bed solely or alone. I'm talking about where they put them strategically in the street. Because they knew that there was a man that was so close to Jesus. You have to understand that the episkiazo, when it says that his shadow overshadowed, the episkiazo was actually the infusion of his presence and Yeshua's presence together. Paul became a resource of healing 
and deliverance and salvation. Why? Because he was in the river which was the source of him or enabling him to be the resource. We all know what a resource is, right? We, our natural resources. We live in one of the, the, the most abundant states for natural resources. And I really believe, listen to what I'm about to say. I don't believe that our greatest resource is coal, gas, or timber. I believe it's the people. I believe the greatest resource of West Virginia is the West Virginian people. I, I, and I'm telling you this because I really believe and I'm praying fervently and intently that the people of West Virginia will turn back to God and truly become West by God, Virginia. I know people probably just got offended because I said that, but I'm telling you, if we do not get back to God as a state, we will continue to be raped and ravaged and nobody will be able to complain about it because we have not turned to the one that if he hears his children crying for help, will be a help in that right early. If you'll go, let, let's just go ahead since I got this far. Let's go to Psalms 46. I touched on it Sunday. I was actually going to teach out of Genesis chapter 2. But let me, let me explain something here. I, I'm a stickler on people who come to church ready to preach and say, this ain't what I come to preach, but the Lord changed my sermon. Okay, did I just sound hypocritical? Probably, but let me explain myself. I came to tell you what the Lord has been dealing with me and, and conversating with me. What, our, what the secrets and how he's been confiding in me. So if I bring something out to you, it's because I've already previously talked to God or heard God uh, bring it to me already. So it's not that I studied for a lesson or a sermon tonight and now I'm changing it. It's not that way at all. It's me just talking to you uh, openly and freely in the same way that I talk with him openly and freely. So again, as I've said before, I'm just allowing you or I'm not allowing you. I'm allowed by God to disclose to you what he has revealed to me. So he, he is in the midst of her. Verse five. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. Okay. Now go back to verse four. It says there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. You have to understand that that is talking about you. That is talking about you. That is talking about us. That is talking about uh, the collective accumulation, maybe if you will, of believers. I, I think we're in. A, I think we're in. A, I think we're in a time, man. And listen, when I say this, and I, I say it. Uh, with, with, with the somberness in my heart, I believe we're living in a day to where the biggest mature, ma majority of the church don't really believe in Jesus the way that, say, Peter did. And that's why they're not walking in what Peter was walking in. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. The, the, the apostolic age never ended. The gifts never ceased. The opportunity and the permission and the access was never taken away from humanity. Why would, have, why would he have done that? I mean, not, 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 I mean, really, when we look at it, what, what happened here, what he, 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 he birthed the church. I mean, we can go into theological things here uh, with the water and the blood pouring out inside of Jesus, and there was, there was the birth of the church. It took place. 
But let's go back to the Old Testament where a cat was sticking a stick in the water and the water stopped on both sides. Let's talk about a guy that could throw that same stick down and it turned into a snake and it devoured the snake of the Egyptians. Let's talk about a guy that had the ability or let's talk about a dude that went up to a mountain called Sinai and talked to a burning bush and received tablets with commandments on it that was written by the very finger of God. Let's talk about a virgin that gave birth to a baby that was conceived of the Holy Ghost because she knew not a man. Why do we not see those things today? Because we really, truly don't believe. We don't. Do you believe? I sometimes I find it hard to. Don't you? Everything falls down around me. I'm like, okay, we're, you know. But, but, that was me in the first probably eight or nine years that I was a minister playing. Amen. I was playing a man of God because I seen how men of God acted and responded. I seen how charismatic and theatrical they got. And, and, and something on the inside of me started emulating what I saw. And God finally rebuked me in a private conversation and he brought me out of that mentality that I had to, I had to emulate what I seen. He said, I need you to follow me. I need you to understand what I look like so that you can image forth my likeness. Amen. Dude, look, and, and here's why I say that to you. You need to do the same thing. Do you have time to read the Bible? No, maybe not. Probably no more, no more or less time than I do. But guess what? Listen, it does not stop me from having communion with God. To, it, it, Every time I can think of having communion with God, I make myself enter into the place of communion with God. How do I do that? I simply acknowledge His presence. What did I tell you Sunday? Wake up for the rest for this every morning for the rest of this week. First thing you say is good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Lord. Listen, He, he, he wants so much to have communion with you. Listen, you gotta understand, man, He is attentive. He's listening for you to say, Abba. Hmm? You know what keeps you from having, you know what keeps you and me? Listen, when I say you, yeah, I hope you still understand I've been here five, almost five years, I think it's been five years. When I say you, everybody, I, you, you have to understand that I'm not talking specifically directly to you. I'm, I'm just using that uh, generalistically. It's part of the speech. You know what keeps us, I'll say it that way, you know what keeps us 90.9%, if not 99% of the time, from having communion with Jesus? We begin to go back and evaluate our moments up to the point where we say, oh, I haven't talked to Jesus today, but I really can't talk to Jesus yet because I haven't read uh, X amount of scriptures yet today, and I haven't read my devotion yet today, and I haven't prayed for who asked me to pray for them today, and I haven't really, uh, I haven't really uh, thought much about it, and I may have said something, or I may have thought something, so I, I really need to go back and get myself right before I come and have, try to have a conversation uh, with the Father. Okay, well, go read the prodigal son, come back, and then try to give me that excuse. 
Go read the parable of the prodigal son. Come back with that excuse that says you don't have time to prepare yourself for a face-to-face -face intimate reunion with the father because he didn't either. He finally realized within himself that uh, this sucks. I, you know, I don't have no flip-flops on my feet. My feet are hurting. My feet are nasty. I don't have clothes. I don't have anything to eat. And nobody wants anything to do with me. Why am I still here? Because I know at least my father would acknowledge my presence. You know, in his mind, he said, he might not call me son. But what happened? Okay? A pursuit had to happen. What do I say about the pursuit when you pursue that which really, you know, adores? Look, when you pursue God, there is a time when he then changes the pursuit and starts chasing you. Now, how can I prove this? Just like Brian talked about Sunday evening, the father came off of the porch, so to speak, theoretically, and ran down the road and he embraced the son that had been gone. Okay? How else can I prove this? Submit yourself wholly unto God and resist the devil, he will flee. Is that, is that scripture accurate? Is that correct? Is that how it's stated? Draw nigh. I missed that part there. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Submitting yourself wholly means everything about you, not just partially, wholly unto God, resisting the devil, and he must flee. The father comes off the porch, embraces the prodigal son. The Bible says, draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh to you. There is a place in your pursuit when that which you are pursuing then turns and pursues you, okay? Now, why do I say that? Because then when I initially started, I'm telling you that God wants you to have such a pursuit in your heart that he pursues you completely engulfing your heart. Okay, let me say this, let me say it like this. He, want, he, he desires you in such a way if I had to explain this, let's talk about the Olympics when we look at somebody that gets down in that stance before they, they pull the trigger on the gun and they take off in a sprint. They're readying themselves to take off in a pursuit. God is in the same posture waiting for the individual to then come towards him in a pursuit, drawing nigh to him. What does nigh mean? It means near. When you draw near to him, he becomes nearer to you. Which he over, listen, I'm, I know that I, I, I don't know any other way to explain this. You, you are coming near, but he then becomes nearer. His near is greater than your near. He's coming nearer to your nearness. Now, I, that makes absolutely no sense. I'm sure it doesn't. But listen, I like what Matt Patrick says. The kingdom of God is inside out and upside down. If, I'm, if you're trying to make sense out of it, that's really what is holding you back. Pursue the absolute ridiculousness of God's love. And I'm telling you, it will absolutely con 
It will confound your humanistic wisdom. Why does it make sense? God, Jesus left the reality of the kingdom and says, okay, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to be born a babe. I'm going to have to run and hide for my life for the first years of my, my childhood. I'm going to know who I am, the Son of God, but I'm not going to be able to reveal it until I'm 30 years old and even my brother's aren't necessarily going to believe me. And then those that I teach for three and a half years aren't necessarily going to believe me until they see me return. They lost all hope. Okay, why? Because it really didn't make sense to them either. They were trying to figure everything out based upon what they knew intellectually. Okay, intellectually, if a man dies and goes into a tomb, it's over. And that's what they thought. But we have to understand in this, I, I feel that there's such an urgency, not an urgency really to save the lost, because I'm going to tell you, I think there's a consequence that will save the lost. I believe the prerequisite for that consequence of the lost being saved is a bride being lost in the embrace of her groom. And I believe that's the church becoming lost in the embrace of the Christ. You know what? I, I know, I don't, I, I know that pe people will watch me. And listen, I, I'm, I'm strict and I'm stern with all of my kids. It normally don't help. I don't know what's going on there. But, but I'm equally as compassionate as I am stern. And I know people will watch me love on my children and love on my kids. And they almost peer at my affections towards them with a little bit of envy. Why do I say that? Because when you begin to draw nigh to God and God then begins to draw nigh to you and he, he becomes nearer than you're near. Okay? You've got to understand that when I say this, what I really mean is he overwhelms you with his nearness to the point to where you forgot that you were the one drawing near to him. Because the moment he draws near to you, it overwhelms everything that you ever thought and everything that you thought you were pursuing. Because again, what you pursued then has pursued you. And when he pursues you, he gets you. Okay? It's like, it's like a cheetah pursuing a gazelle. There's a determination. And that cheetah makes that gazelle its quarry. God is determined to pursue you so intense, so intent, so intently and with such an intensity that his presence completely overwhelms you. There, I believe there is a there is a place of being lost in the presence of God. A, a place of completely, I've talked about, there's, I believe there's times that a man can completely and utterly disappear within the presence of God. I believe that. 
That's what God has been teaching me. God has been leading to me. Uh, a state of elusiveness. To be completely consumed and hidden within the presence of God. Okay, how do I get there? I pursue the presence of God. With everything in me. With all of my heart. With all of my mind. With all my body and my soul. And to, to, to truly begin to chase the presence of God. With a love burning on the inside of my heart. Okay, did I get off the track there? Can anybody bring me back into where I was at? I think I'm still on the same subject. I may have forgot something. I think I left something off that I had started to explain. But however, I do believe that I explained it adequately. But that's, that's truly what God wants from his church today. It's, it's a sad reality that we've been so convinced that this is all and this is it. And that's so contrary and so far from the truth. There, there, there's dudes, and I, I, mean, I mean, from let me let me show you this again. And, and I know I've talked about this, and I probably I feel like I'm driving it in the ground, but so be it. In the first chapter of Revelations. And you don't have to turn there. I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I really feel like we're, we're being attentive. So I, I don't want to ask you to turn there unless you absolutely want to. But I'm going to start with verse 9 and I'm going to read verse 10. This is John speaking. He says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom uh, and patience of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. Was in the aisle that is called Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, there's something significant here. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. I have to read that and say that John was so in communion with God through the Spirit that he was both on the island of Patmos which means that he was in this earth and yet he was in the presence of heaven which means that he was simultaneously at the same time in the earth and in heaven that is because there was a man who was so in love with Jesus, if you go back to his gospel, says, the beloved, the disciple in whom Jesus loved. When people teach on John, they go from John the beloved to John the revelator. And the only way that John could go from John the beloved to John the regulator was, was obtain, not obtaining. Assuming the identity of beloved. Rightfully assuming the identity of beloved. To pursue him. The, do we, do, I mean, do I have to explain that, that John was so enraptured by who Jesus was 
that even in listen, what, what does he say here in verse 9? What does he how does he describe himself? Well, wouldn't you know? I must have did that, didn't I? I am your brother and companion in tribulation. A study shows us that John the Revelator was tormented. Many attempts to take his life failed. Exiling him to the island of Patmos, where I believe that their intent, their desire, and their hope was that the, the solitude and the lonesomeness of being by himself would have been enough to him for him to have drove himself crazy. But, but listen, what was so significant here. Even being all alone, he was never alone. Being the only person, yet he was in the presence of the Lord. Okay, all of you in this room are within the presence of me being here. My presence cannot be in a place where me, the person, is not. So in order for him to be simultaneously in one place and another at the same time, earth and heaven, he was, I believe, enraptured in the spirit, the spirit being the presence of God, the presence of Jesus, the person of the Godhead. We cannot look at the Holy Ghost and say it's the spirit of God and not understand that it's the spirit of Christ. Because he is the, the animate, he is the carnate image of God. The Godhead, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So anytime there is a presence, the presence has got to exude from the person of the presence. Okay, and that is where, the, am I confusing you? Because if that's where Peter was. That's where John the Revelator was. They were enraptured in the presence of the person of Christ because they were so in communion with Jesus that Jesus was literally in them. They were in Jesus. Then Jesus was around them wherever they went because they had become so enamored and when they became enamored, it caught them to be enraptured. Okay, I'm not talking about a theological concept of being raptured out of this earth and into a cloud of glory. I'm talking about being enraptured right now in the presence of glory. Come on. There's something that is very, 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 very vital here that most people don't get. Most people will never get because this requires something. This requires more than being a member of a church and having your name on the ledger. This requires more than reading the Bible just because it's something you feel obligated to do. Listen, I don't feel obligated to love my wife. Sometimes maybe yes, because there's times that I really know this does not go there. Amen. Listen. 
And I just feel, and, and I'm going to speak this just personally because I really feel this is, I, I don't want Brandy to feel obligated to love me either. And, and, and I say that because, see, Jesus does not want you obligated. He wants you obsessed. Because he's obsessed with you. Okay? I don't know if you caught this Sunday, but I said Jesus or God made you in his likeness. He likes the way you look. Okay, I, I know maybe, possibly, I know that, the, well, I know that the Bible, when it refers to likeness, it's referring to nature and character. But I believe that God created you and said, Ooh, I like that. So therefore, we can understand that we were created in His likeness. He created you according to His... his, his I know that people probably... He says, I, God, God created you out of His fantasies for you. Have we ever seen the movie, the 80s movie, Weird Science? These two dudes created this machine where they created a woman that was according to their dreams. There, there, there really is, and I feel that there, there, is, there is a biblical significance because you have to understand that God made you according to his fantasies for you. You are the bride of Yeshua's dreams. You know what? This is hard for us men, probably more so than, than you women, to understand that God created me because he created me. He, he created me in the image that is intri not intriguing, but enticing. It's... it's uh, It piques his interest. Not because, okay, not because, listen, uh, uh, let me just, I'm, I, I'm this looks like the way I hear it. It's not because he's a pervert. You, you can't pervert a purest love. You can't pervert the purest love. The only love that can be perverted is a love that really does not exist. That's how we come up with pornography. That's not, that's not intimacy. That's exploitation. And I believe idolatry. I believe it's, in, it's, it's one of the most uh, evil forms of idolatry. But you can't, you can't pervert love in its purest. And, and so you can't confuse what I'm saying tonight with perversion. It's not perversion. Because Jesus is love in the purest. And his love in the purest is purely for you and solely for you. If you, if, if, if you will allow yourself uh, to, to take ownership of that. Do you understand that in your intimacy with Jesus, you're the only one that exists in that moment? in Jesus. Okay, I know. Come on, Pastor, you're not making any sense. I'm really not here trying to make any sense. I'm, I'm here to try to can encourage you to pursue intimacy with Jesus. And as a consequence of pursuing intimacy with Jesus, you become a resource as he then is the source that fuels and fuels your resources, okay? You have to understand that he is he, he is that river that, that I, he is this river. I know a lot of people used to teach this as the church. That the river represented the church. And, 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 and I could, if you needed me to and wanted me to, I could make a very good, uh, I could make a very good run and, and, and stake grounds that would 
that would, I guess, well, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it would make a, it would make a good case that the river is talking about the church. However, I don't believe the river necessarily here is talking about the church. I believe the river is necessarily talking about Jesus. The streams thereof, however, is the church. And when I say that, let me come back to pursuing vital dreams and pursuing or chasing the river. I need you to understand that in your pursuit as a tributary, for the river. Your pursuit becomes a journey of love or a journey and desire to be in Him and in a place of fulfillment. The stream, I do not believe, ever reaches fulfillment until it reaches its destiny in the river. And once it reaches its destiny in the river, its destiny is actually to disappear and have no identity other than the river. I mean, we can look from a Google map and we can begin to pinpoint tributaries into the river. But when you're in the river, there's nothing in within your line of sight that tells you that there's tributaries. You know that there was things that contributed to that flow and that current of that river, but you don't know and can't identify the tributaries, okay? So we have to understand that in this reality of pursuing Jesus, that when I get into Jesus, when I release myself through the flow to come into fulfillment in Jesus, there I lose my identity, okay? The pursuit for, for from it, the pursuit from self to identifying in Jesus, everything in between is to lose yourself, to disappear so that you completely reappear in Him. When He appears, we reappear with Him. We share the same appearance because when we are fulfilled in Him, no one, no spiritual entity, no natural entity will then be able to decipher or discern or even distinguish or even differentiate me from him or you from him or him from us. Because in order for you to be in order for you to be a tributary that releases who you are and your essence into him that you would disappear and completely completely become non-existent except you would exist When I say, 
When I say flow to, you can't flow to until you flow from. And flowing to and from is actually the same thing. It's the same process. You, 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 we, we have, there is a river whereof the streams thereof, or whereof the streams make glad the city of the Lord. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. Listen, I, I, okay, what I'm trying to get at is that God supplies the resource, or he supplies the source that we then are able to supply the resources. Okay, the river that flows in the earth is the presence of Christ. But the only way that we can be tributaries to the presence of Christ is by being in the presence of Christ. That's, that's what I've been saying and, and, and have alluded to that several times tonight. That until we begin to walk in the presence of Christ, we will never be that which is able to produce and reproduce in the earth the presence of Christ. So in order for me to be the stream that flows into the river as a tributary, I first have got to be in the source, which is him and him alone. However, my pursuit has got to be from him to him to him from him. The river is, I, listen, how, okay, how can I prove this? In, in Genesis, it talks about a mist. That came up from the earth and watered the whole face there of the ground. That word was, in most cases, and most people would agree, that word in the King James was wrongly translated. That that word is actually streams or a stream. Which means that the stream had a current, an underground current that, that flowed throughout the core of the earth and watered the face of the earth. So what watered the face of the earth came from within the earth. And I said earlier that when the rains came and fell upon the mountain and the mountain absorbed in their depths the water that fell from heaven, they then had the ability to then release the water that fell upon them that, that, that they contained within them. But it's not yours to contain within you. That's why the Bible says, they that believe as the scripture has said, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living waters. We have got to understand that we're a resource of life to dead and buried communities. And when we begin to come together collectively as tributaries, there is a river that will begin to flow through those desolate, barren, dry places that will begin to irrigate those lands again. And those lands will begin to produce fruit once again. And there will be trees planted by rivers of waters that will produce their fruit and their leaf in every season. Uh, they produce their fruit every season. Their leaf will not wither. Whatsoever they do shall prosper. Psalms chapter 1. But we've got to understand that we have got to get connected to the source that is falling from heaven, which is the presence of Jesus. I need us to understand tonight that there is the constant continuation. You can't go from and to two. You can't go from here to there without knowing that here and there is the same place. You were created and you were designed to come out of the presence of Jesus to pursue the presence of Jesus. Amen? We're created for the presence. We're created so much for the presence that we carry the DNA that we then become the presence. 
You get, I mean, it, I, I'm, I'm so confident that if you can't believe this, then you haven't been reading the Bible adequately. It's just that we've missed it. Most of us as pastors can't afford you to get in the flow. Because when you get in the flow, then you realize that it's not by might or power, but it's by spirit, his spirit. We, we, and, and here, we, we totally messed up the concept of the spirit. What do we call the spirit? When somebody is acting erratically, when somebody is running around the aisle in a victory lap, when somebody is dancing, when somebody is shouting, when somebody is falling out, slaying in the spirit, when somebody begins to speak in tongues, when somebody begins to preach out of an anointing, that's what we have determined and that's what we have designated in the spirit. But you've got to understand that that's not the, the biblical definition of being in the spirit. The biblical definition of being in the spirit is being in the presence. And the biblical mandate was that you have permission by way of believing uh, that by way of believing to walk and operate in the presence every moment of the day, not just on Sunday morning uh, when the clock strikes 11 to whatever time the pastor dismisses you. But that's why we're looking at an impotent church across the board. Listen, that's why we're looking at churches that, that don't, think them, don't think themselves effective missionally until... until they orchestrate protests and prayer meetings. And let me, let me clarify that. There was a man named Abraham that walked so close to God and in faithfulness uh, imputed him unto righteousness. And the Bible is specific when it calls Abraham a friend of God. He was such a friend with God that when he walked in the presence of God, I think that when, listen, there is quite possibly some differences here. Abraham walked in the presence of God when the presence of God came down from heaven. But we've got to understand, in the New Testament age, Jesus went to be with the Father, and when he went with the Father, he sent another comforter, which is the presence and the spirit of Christ that now allows him to be omnipresent, present everywhere at every time, in every moment. But going back to this, to, to share this analogy or this, this illustration with you, Abraham was a friend of God and God came down and he walked with Abraham. God quite possibly altered his schedule because he knew there was going to be a moment when Abraham needed him most. Now, there was a city called Sodom and Gomorrah that God came down and was going to destroy, but he went and visited Abraham first. And Abraham, uh, if there's 50, for 50 righteous would you spare? Yeah, before 40 righteous would you spare? Yeah, well, 20 years down to 10, for 10 righteous would you spare? Absolutely. God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah for 10 righteous because Abraham had asked him, because Abraham was walking in the presence 
of God because Abraham was walking in a faith and an obedience to the word of God. How come Abraham was, was faithful? Because he heard a voice out of the middle of nowhere. He didn't know Yahweh. He was a child then. And he hears a voice come out of an uh, was it audible? Was it, I don't know. But he hears a voice and, and he and he asks him, said, will you, will, you, will you serve me as your God? Yes, I'll serve you as your God. Okay, pack up your stuff, leave the house of your father. I'm going to show you a place where I want you to, to make your home. Okay. How many of us would do that? But I'm telling you that there is a place if we will begin to practice the presence, which is what we initially uh, maybe one thing that I'm trying to get across or convey to you that we need to practice the presence. No matter what you're doing, you have absolute permission to be in the presence of Yahweh. I don't care if you're teaching your class. I don't care if you're studying for a class. I don't care if you're flipping pancakes for breakfast. I don't care what you're doing. Every moment of every day is an opportunity for you to do what you're doing with and in the presence of Jesus. And I believe that when we do this, when we understand that, hey, I don't have to orchestrate protests and I don't have to orchestrate uh, prayer meetings, okay? Listen, because none of those things, none of the, well, programs, uh, you have to understand that there's, there's people that orchestrate prayer meetings only because they want to orchestrate prayer meetings and it's not really prayer meetings, it's programs. It's, they, they use Second Chronicles seven fourteen as a programmable uh, uh, a programmable device, so that we can pro listen. And where I'm going with this, programs and protests, whether it be in the form of of marching, whether it be in the form of going to Capitol buildings and 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 and. and political offices, whether it be uh, calling for community prayer meetings. Listen, I, I'll just be honest with you. I have, uh, I have participated in community prayer meetings that when I got there, I felt, I mean, I, there was, I, I could come here and have a better, intimate, close fellowship with the Holy Spirit by myself than in 99% of the communal prayer meetings that I participated in. Why? Because when they call for a, a communal prayer meeting, they just want you to participate so that they can count you and check you off. But they really want you to come and listen how enlightened they are and how anointed they are and how God has called them to save the county or how God has called them to save the town. I went to a community prayer meeting one time and after three hours of listening to stories, I finally got up and had to walk out and go home. <coughs> We're going to pray for the town. Yet for three hours, nobody prayed for the town. Everybody, everybody just sat and listened to one or two people talk about how God had given them visions. Okay? Protests, programs, and false prophecies will never take place of intimate prayer meetings, you, along with God, and the presence. Prayer and presence both being centered around aloneness with Him. And in the, in the process or in the position of loneliness, you and Him become one. God. Amen. And listen, why do I say false prophecies? 
Because I know people that can get on Facebook, they can get behind the pulpit, they can grab a microphone and begin to prophesy and sound legit. But if there is no fruition to the prophetic words that come out of your mouth, then quite possibly, if not absolutely, it did not come from the throne of God. I don't know, most of you know, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Why? Because I, could, I, I was tired of regurgitating in my mouth and having to swallow it so I wouldn't offend people. I'm going to say this from my heart. You can't convince me that you're intimate with God when your timeline has something on it every 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes, you're posting a word from God. No, you're not. You're regurgitating what somebody else has prophesied. You're regurgitating somebody else's revelation. That's exactly what you are. You're not a, you're a regurgitator. I listen, I know, listen, you can stick your finger down your throat and make yourself throw up. Can't you? Regurgitators, every 15 minutes, they've got a word from God. And, and I know some people that every 15 minutes they got a word from God and their word from God, from God is a novel. Listen, if you post something that, that is not allowed on Twitter because there's too many characters every 15 minutes, I mean, really, if you had the ability, you could trace it back to the source because somebody else said it 15 posts ago. It just went from one person to another, to another person, to another, from another person to another, and quite possibly the person that actually released it got it from somebody else a day or two before. Why? Because that trash is only given with the intent to draw attention to them. But a true prophetic word either draws in a, attention to a situation, a nation's sins, Every prophecy that is ever given is with the intent to turn people back to God. Either in the form of turning back to people back to God or people that are falling from the faith maybe because it, it's, it's, it's been deterred. Prophecy is the proclamation of promise and good news. You gotta understand that even when God gives prophecies that He's gonna rain wrath, He gives a prophecy that if you do not turn back to me, this is the consequence. You, you gotta understand that with God. But until we understand that you individually, and this is I, 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 this is really where I want to go with this tonight. What we do communally will have no effect. To nothing if it is not stimulated by what we do individually in the private place in the presence of God. Do we understand that tonight? I had somebody tell me one time, well, we, need to, we need to do prayer meetings. And I said, no. We did prayer meetings. We did them for a little while. And I'll tell you, I'll just be honest with you. The only reason we've done prayer meetings is because somebody else that don't even go to this church came and made the suggestion that we do prayer meetings. It really was. 
Then I began to journey into this revelation that God wants me intimately. God wants me intimately. Do you know that when you look up and do a word study on intimacy uh, in the Greek, it actually means innermost. God wants to experience you in the innermost. He wants your essence of who you are to experience and encounter the presence of who he is. Because essentially you exist because you, you, you existed first and foremost in him. Scripturally, I knew you before you were born. I knew you before I formed you. I had plans for you. I had dreams for you. To prosper you. None of those were for evil. And to give you an expected end. So God wants you to experience him. Essentially. The essence of who you are. Experiencing the presence of who he is. Coming together. Communally and intimately. As one. So until the church receives and takes hold of the revelation that he wants me individually and intimately, then what I do intimately and individually in the presence of Jesus will then have an utter and lasting effect of what I do for Jesus communally. Listen, I believe that com com communal and community prayer meetings are absolutely, utterly insufficient they're inadequate. They're ineffective. How do I know? Listen, dude, when you, if, oh my God, what a die in the presence of God. Something's wrong here. You, in your language, is indicating that you were not in the presence of God and now you're no longer in the presence of God. But that you had a short window in the span of time to where God came in and you got to experience his presence. That's not the way God works. If that is true, then there was something that you were responsible of prior to that. And there was something that you were accountable for post that. That caused him not to be able to stand or, or, or commune with you in his presence. God does not, God does not withhold or retain his presence from someone because he, he can't help himself. He can't. Listen, I made a statement the other day. Am I, am, I, am I teaching too long? God doesn't love you because you're prevalent. He doesn't love you because you're predominant. He doesn't love you because you're successful. He doesn't love you because you're popular. He, he doesn't love you because you're ambitious. He doesn't love you because you get everything right. He doesn't love you because you read the Bible on a disciplined schedule. No, he loves you just because... And the just because is actually because he can't help himself. Amen. Listen, I can't help myself. As my kids are as unruly as anyone's, and they're, you know, my, my, my number one quote when somebody says, Oh, he's just so cute. I look at him and say, He's as mean as he is cute. <laughs> Every one of them. She is too. Everybody's like, Oh, we just love Reagan. She's so quiet. You don't live in my house, obviously. Because there's a whole different side to them youngins. 
you're going to hang me upside down by my toes. Glad you can't do that now. My toes wouldn't support this much weight. But sometimes I want to hang my kids up by my toes, but I still can't help myself but to love them. Sometimes I just want to tie Brandy up in a pillowcase and throw her in the closet and leave her in there for three days. And she's small enough to fit. My pillows are big. I like big pillows. I know she'll fit. I measure. She's five foot three. That pillowcase is three foot long. I could condense her five foot three into that three foot area. And, and there's times, let's just be honest, man. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to talk to you. Don't want to look at you. Don't want to hear you. Don't want to be around you. Right now, I don't want to love you. But there's something we can't help ourselves. Jesus is the same way. Abba Father is the same way. Where do you think that nature comes from? It's not in you because you're good. It's in you because He's good, and it's good because He's in you. We've got to understand this stuff, man. Every ethnicity, every religion, every creed, every language, whether it's, 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 it's Islamic, whether it's, it's Amish, every being has the DNA of Christ in them. It is just so hard for us to believe that. So what am I saying tonight? I'm going to let you go. We have to understand that as streams and tributaries to the river that when we go from here to there and there being fulfillment in Him we can't look at it from a perspective that we know. Okay? Because I know from the perspective of my intellect that a stream starts here and it empties itself or its, its, its contents in a river here. And that there is a duration of time from point A to point B. But in the kingdom, distance and time is of no matter. In the kingdom, distance and time is of no matter. So my point A and my point B are point in Him. They're the same, one and the same. And that my flow is actually a continual constant, or a, continu a constant continual continuation. Continually constant. I don't even want to say circulatory. However, that would that would that would concur to 
continual. But my point A and my point B are simultaneously one and the same. That distance and time are no matter in the kingdom. And that my starting point and my ending point both are in Him. I was created in Him, by Him, and for Him. That's scriptural. So therefore, He is the source that enables me to be a resource. Not only giving to the community, but I give back to Him as He continues to overflow me with the source. That's what I'm trying to say. The branches and the vine is, is the same, same, same analogy. But it, I think that it's very significant that we have we understand that there is a river. We provide that river, but that river is our resource that flows through us that we can flow in it. Does that make sense? I know that it doesn't make sense. It makes all the sense in the world to me, and I'm just crazy enough and weird enough to understand it. And maybe I'm, maybe, you know, I, maybe I'm, I'm just out there. I don't know. But he has to flow in me and through me. And as he flows through me, then I flow in him. It's, it's a, him and I become the same flowing current. Make sense? go on this statement, but I want to read something that I wrote September the 20th. I, I read it uh, two Sundays ago. Many claim they're deep but have no depth. Any fool at the bottom of a dry well will sound deep, but their words have no depth. Their voice has great sound effects, but their sound has no lasting effects. They're merely amplified echoes reverberating a generic noise into the region. You can't be dry and be in him. And, and when I say that there's, there's many that claim they're deep but have no depth, I'm specifically talking about pastors and preachers and evangelists that love to preach, that love to get loud, that love to get theatrical. But in the wake of their madness, there's no fruition. There's no vitality. And there's no flow. There's no reviving a community. And I, I, I thought maybe for a moment that the word fool was a little bit too harsh. But then I, I mean that. Because I've experienced and I've encountered many fools. That sit at the bottom of dry wells. And cry for you to throw money down their throat. So that they can 
support the appetites of their belly. Throw money down my mouth because the thing that drives me is the appetite of my belly. That's their death. It's not their unity and their oneness with God. Any fool at the bottom of a dry well will sound deep that their words have no depth. Let me tell you something. Why do I think it's significant that you understand that? For you to flow to him requires him to flow in you. For you to flow in him means he flows through you. When your words come from heaven, And you begin to declare in this earth and in this environment what thus saith the Lord by way of communion and intimacy with Him. You then become a stream and a tributary to the river that once flew, flowed through the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. There was a time when Jesus was in the earth to supply everything that was needed upon the earth. Do you see the connection here? There was a time when Jesus was in the earth to supply everything that was needed upon the earth. For us to change the earth means that we position ourselves to get in the flow and the outpouring of one named Yeshua, that he then overflows our being and our essence, and we then begin to be tributaries into that river that is rising again in the earth to meet the necessities and the needs that is upon the earth. The glory, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the face of the earth as did the waters cover the sea. There, there, there is a river, and God is in the midst of her. Okay, there is a river and there are streams within that river and I believe that God is in the midst of those streams and he is in the midst of those rivers because those rivers and those streams come together and produce the bride, the church. God's presence is in the midst of her. She will not be ashamed. He will be her help on that right early. We've, we've got to understand that when we start to come into the presence of Jesus intimately and individually, then we will then be able to uh, access permission to come together accumulatively and uh, communally and then produce a current and a flow in the earth that will then begin to overcome the dryness and overflow the necessities that hinder the spiritual growth of this universe. Period. We're dry and desolate. Why? Listen, he is the source that permits you to be the resource. Listen, listen to the wording I use, September the 20th. However, there are those with a real death that are being, beginning to spring up around the region that will be a sound of resurrection life. Those who truly died to themselves and have been hidden away with Yeshua within the overshadowing of the secret place, they've been seated, but soon they'll be sent. These will be deposits of, of vital waters springing up into those parsed regions that will that lie desolate because dry wells have been their resource. You know, I'm going to go ahead and say this because I'll just be honest. I can walk by ten pastors in this community and all ten of them will look the other way. 
shepherds to rise up and roll away the stone to release the water. Amen. And I, when I say shepherds, I'm not talking about me as the pastor. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about this church. Come on. Today we roll the stone away that there be water for the flocks. Today you remove whatever is hindering him from flowing through you that you can flow into this region. We remove whatever hinders him from being the source that pours into us that we can be the resource that pours out from us. You understand what I'm saying here? There's a resource that is available to you. No, 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 no. There's a source that is available to you that makes you an available resource to many. When God starts flowing or pouring into you, the consequence is an overflow. What did I say about the mountains? God asked me, he said, okay, why are the mountains, why are the mountains releasing such a stream of water out of their decks? Because he said, I stopped the rain days ago. Here's, here's the simple fact of that. What did the mountains do to exert the water? Nothing. They exerted no energy of themselves. All they did was position themselves and posture themselves to receive what God poured upon them within them so that when they began to fill up with what was poured out upon them, they could not contain it. So out of the depth or out of the belly, that word can be translated belly, matrix, womb, or the soul of the man. So however we begin to translate that, it's something that is very deep inside the person. As the mountains begin to obtain something on the inside of them churning, which was rivers of waters, living vital waters, and they, when God, God, when God deemed it, began to release what had been obtained in them, and they began to flow with a current and became tributaries in the region. And that's what I'm trying to tell you tonight. Quit, can, I, can I be honest? Quit feeling sorry for yourself, man. Look, and here, shame on you if you ever look at me and say, man, I wish I could preach like that. Shame on you, because you can. You want me to show you my credentials? You sure ain't in a suit because I'm not wearing one. You want to show you my credentials? I, listen, I do not know where my ordination certificate is. I don't know where it is. I don't know where the little pocket card is that they gave me that has my name as lead pastor of this church, as the church identification number, my ministerial identification number. I don't know where it is. So I don't, you know, where, you know where my, I, I can't show you my credentials on paper. But I assure you, and you know when you rest assured, I show you my credentials every time that I step in this sanctuary and I begin to tell you what God says. That's my credentials. Where's your credentials? 
when you start believing everything that God says. Why is this so difficult? Why is it so difficult to believe this? The early fathers did. I love what Leonard Ravenhill says. One day some poor fool is going to read this book and believe and put us all to shame. I don't, I, don't believe, I don't believe the fool has to read that book. I believe he's just got to have an encounter with Jesus. Because all those guys that are in that book never read it. They had an encounter. And they stewarded And they hosted that encounter. And I'm telling you tonight. That if you begin to host and steward that encounter. What happens in here corporately will be an amplified volume of what he tells you intimately. Come on. You with me? Okay. I think I beat you up enough tonight. How about you? Fruit, fruit bruises. I got a few myself. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm considering doing this. I'm considering, I mean, and I know it's probably, it would be difficult for you to read my notes because only I can read them. Even my type notes is, it, it's just, it's just a collective uh, collaboration, I guess, of thoughts. But I'm really considering in the near future to those that want them to print, I, I will print every note that I write. I'll print it off and I'll give them to you if you want them. I'm not just going to give them to everybody. I will give them to the people that come and ask me and say, I'd like to see your notes. I could do that. Maybe. I don't know if I have time to do that. Maybe uh, we could, uh, I could just make them available and, and we could put them in, in binders and folders. Uh, But I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to give my notes to whoever may want them. And so, you know, you can take them home and kind of evaluate and reflect on what I've said and look at, you know, kind of draw. Really, I mean, there's, there's probably way more in my notes than what I actually bring out, even though I've talked for a very long time. We would be in here for two or three days if I read. And, and I'm, still, I'm still reading from the same notes that that I've had from September the 20th and, and then into the earlier part of December, I'm still preaching from the same notes. I've not even got through them entirely yet. So that's why I'm really leaning towards making what I receive from God and write down my notes available to those of you that want them. So that, that, is, that is one announcement. Uh, That's all the announcements I've got. Y'all good? We good? You hate me, love me? Yeah,
Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's Word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia, 24822. That is tithely.ly, T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and all that you do today.